gives me great pleasure knowing that you choose to listen to this episode on the John Gardena Classroom. My mission is to serve the Lord by creating content that will help you in your journey of life. If you want one-on-one coaching or would like to be part of my 40 Days of Deliverance program, please visit my website at johngardena.com. Also, if you would like to give a financial gift to help the show grow or provide the funds for the editing process and publishing of the show, it would truly be appreciated. Lastly, God has given me a vision to have a place in the woods with cabins to enjoy fellowship, healing, along with outdoor activities with others. If you have land and feel compelled by the Lord to donate some to make this vision a reality, please email me. I will have all the information available in the show notes. Thank you and enjoy this episode. Hey, welcome to the John Gardena Classroom. Today is a very special day as I have a good friend, Mike Bellini with us. Mike Bellini, and when I think of him and the words that come to my mind is Mike is tough. He's a patriot. He's a family man. He's Christ-centered, and he's truly a man of discipline. We first met doing the 4 by 4 by 48 Goggins Challenge two years ago in March. He has been a great friend ever since, and we are also in the Sons of Thunder men's group. We are also recently, we just did the 5150 mission where he ran 50 miles at the country mile straight, no breaks, man of steel. He is also a published author who wrote a phenomenal book, Ultra Marriage. The stories in his book are authentic, they're real, and very helpful for new or tenured couples. His main message is that the family unit is the most powerful force in America. Currently, he is finishing a new book on prayer and it's part of the all and is part of the all day running club with Jesse Itzler at the realm. He is a multi-dimensional thinker, experienced screenwriter, endurance athlete, a family man to a beautiful wife and two children, and he's just a rock solid individual. So Mike Bellini, welcome to the John Gardena classroom. Dude, thank you so much for that. Um I, I, I value our friendship. I value the things we've done together, the, the times we've had, the conversations we've had. And, uh, it's, it's exciting to have this type of conversation with you. So thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, what the nice thing about doing podcasting is you could actually sit down virtually and, and yeah. share through and share through the airwaves, uh, dialogue that's authentic between, you know, two individuals who are, are very similar and cut from the same cloth. So I'm just going to dive right in, Mike, you know, I, you're very, you're a very inspirational individual. Um, you're very consistent in what you do and why you do things, but what drives you each day to share this wisdom with others? Yeah. So it's, it's gotten to a point, John, in, in my life of being a, really a sense of obligation and responsibility. Um, you mentioned a, a book that I wrote that, to be honest, I tried writing a book over 25 years ago and I stopped after eight to 10 chapters and said, I'll never do that again. I'll never try that again. It was just excruciating to try to have the focus and the perseverance to do that type of thing. And I, I, I was astounded at people that could not only write a book, but write multiple books. So in 2020, God put it on my heart to possibly write another, a book. 
right? This is 25 years after I tried the first one and failed. And can't say that I wanted to. I, I really didn't. I, I kind of fought him on it and said, all right, I'll write down the ideas. And if this is still a thing that I feel like I'm supposed to do uh, in about six months, because I had plans for the first six months of the year, I said, I'll do it, or at least I'll consider it. And the more I thought about it, you know, you get to a point in your life where you've had experience. And uh, I think we all have a responsibility and an obligation to share with each other what we do well. Um, And I've had people that have commented, lots of people that have commented on my marriage. Same with my wife. She's had people comment to her about our marriage. And we know that we had done a lot of things well. We are far, far from perfect as everybody is, right? But there are things that we've done well. And and my passion in life for 25 years has been my faith in my family. And I felt the responsibility to share that. And so the things that I've learned that work for me, I, you know, I think we all should come to the realization that there are other people out there that, that these things will work for as well. Not everybody, not everybody's the same, but man, if we shared more of what works for us, we all, we all could be better and become better. So that's, that's really it. It's a sense of responsibility. Yeah. You know what I love? I'm just gathering all this wisdom you have. And the one thing I loved about reading your book and knowing who you are is that really faith in your family is the fulfillment of, of you as an individual. And, you know, the podcast that I have is really faith, family, fitness, and and freedom. And I know that we align identical and all four of the, uh, 100% on all four of those yeah. pillars. Yeah. And yeah. just, just a testament of who Mike is and, and with his wife. And I'll just never forget one of the stories in there is that you guys budgeted your money really well and you couldn't go out to dinner, but you, you knew that having that date night was something that you needed to have as a couple, that you were serving one another in that special time. And I thought to myself, like, wow, that is so powerful. And the story you had in there where your kids were the waiters and the servers for you in your house was just, it was remarkable because it it really is the foundation of what what makes a family strong and seeing that intimacy, um, but also makes our communities in America a a great nation, what it is. So keep keep talking a little bit about that that family unit and how how important it is. Yeah, there's there's no question on that. I mean, that was... I think my wife would say the same thing. That was one of our favorite dates was, and we did it more than once, but because we had no money, we, we were on such a tight budget that, you know, we would, we would bring food in and, um, we would set up a movie in another room for our kids and have dinner, the two of us in in the living room. And, uh, before the kids would go upstairs, we'd, you know, set it up to where they would be the waiters and it would have it all set up to where, you know, they weren't necessarily pouring anything. They were just bringing it to us, but engaging them. And we're talking about four five, six, seven years old is when they were doing this and engaging them in this and showing them that the marriage is a priority and that they too are a priority in the family. Um, I think we didn't, I don't think I didn't really realize it at the time. We were just doing it for us like me and my wife, we knew the importance of having date nights. And when we didn't have money to go out, we manifested it and created it indoors. We knew it would be a cool thing to involve our kids, but didn't realize maybe that it would have a lasting impact on them as well. Um, 
the family unit, brother, that's dude. Like I said earlier for 25 years, that's been my passion. Driving passion is keeping my family, my prior, the priority in my life being, uh, the best husband I can be, the best father I can be. I do think that, and this was, this really came through the process of writing the book. And then after writing the book, how, um, how passionate I am that the family is the most important structure of a country. And if we're talking about America, you know, you mentioned the word patriot. I thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I love America. Uh, I was born here. And for whatever reason, since I was a little kid, I I just, I had, maybe it was because my birthday's July 8th. It was right after the 4th of July. Mm -hmm. My birthday often uh, coincided with red, white, and blue Mm -hmm. for for that, probably for that reason. But whatever the reason was, I always, I grew up with this sense of, I don't want to call it pride, but gratefulness as particularly as I got older, gratefulness for being in this country and then for what this country upholds and stands for and has stood for, for 250 years. And the family is at the center of it and the problems that we have, and we could list a whole host of them as a nation, right? I mean, we could, we could go on and on to me. If we would go back to family values, husbands and wives loving each other and taking care of each other, uh, parents being intentional in raising their kids, and I could go on and on about that as well, um, and family units taking care of each other, loving each other, strengthening each other, and st- we'd be, we, would, we would transform this nation. I think 95% of our problems would go away because if we were, if our families were relying on each other, then we wouldn't need to look to the government to Mm -hmm. give us things that we might lack, right? We would have it. We would have the majority of what we need at home, right? Um, And so, yeah, to me, it's, you know, it's the most important part of really any, any culture, any, any civilization is the family. And really the marriage is at the heart of the family. So you could say that it starts there between, I mean, it started way back in the garden of Eden, mm-hmm. right? With the first man and the first woman. And, um, the enemy has been attacking the family ever since then. We've become so desensitized to our current culture that 50% of marriages ending in divorce doesn't bother us anymore. That's the tragedy. Yeah, you know it, it is, Mike. And every every time I I look at my hand and I see my wedding ring, which is my grandfather's, it's just a reminder of the the unity that they had. My my grandma and grandfather, and my other grandparents, who my and God rest my grandma's soul, who just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And you you think about it, is that is the, God's design for us? Is He designed us to be with our spouse, our wife? And to create this family, you know, be fruitful and multiply. And he knew when he created us and he breathed life into us that it it was something so unique and special that he wanted those family units to be strong. And the one thing I would say is that we can still have that. It's not what it used to be, but more and more people have to be bold enough to share their faith and what the family unit stands for. 
against what is evil and selfishness of do what you want, what makes you feel good instead of making sacrifices, which to me, the word love is being selfless and too many people today are selfish. So Mike, I really, I do appreciate your message on that. And it made me think after reading your book, just about how I can serve my wife better. And I, you said it right too. You said 25 years of marriage and you're not perfect and she's not perfect, but you're both pushing each other to form this unity of love that should grow just like a beautiful tree would, right? And I think that we all need to understand that, you know, you're going to have to be cut back sometimes, both of you, um, to grow and blossom in new seasons. So for everyone listening, I mean, marriage is a beautiful unity, but you have to learn patience and selflessness and take away your pride and ego um, and, and learn to serve. So Mike, yeah, continue on that a little bit. Just talk about one thing that you you hope for for new couples or, or for people who have been married. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head when you said selfishness, we have become so selfish as a culture. And obviously that shows up in our marriages, uh, as, as well. And you mentioned that, you know, that it's, it's really, I forget exactly how you said it. it's not what it used to be or, uh, in, in terms of marriage, why, why can't it be is my question, right? You know, yes, the world is different, mm -hmm. but, um, our level of commitment, our level of, of love, um, doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be different between a husband and a wife. And the, the, I think if I had a, if I had a wish kind of, as you, as you put it for, particularly for new couples, it's, understand that marriage is the greatest journey that you can go on. Um, we are creatures built for relationship and we put so much into our businesses. If you're an entrepreneur, right? If you have a successful business, how did you build that business? You didn't give up. You had early mornings, late nights, hard times. It's a very lonely road, but you didn't give up. Um, you know, we do that with our finances, with our careers, whatever our career may be, with our education. We don't give up. We keep pushing forward. We need that same mentality in our marriage. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but it needs to, it needs to be there first. Why not? Right. I mean, that's, again, I go back to it's, it's the foundation of civilization. You mentioned it, uh, be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. What are we here for if we're not going to progress the human race, right? If we're not going to be fruitful and multiply, um, God put us here for a reason and it's more for relationship, not for just doing things. And the, the closest, most intimate, most loving relationship we could ever have and should ever have outside of our relationship with, with God is with our spouse. There's, there's no closer relationship that we could have. Why would we not want to get the most out of that. That's what we, we have this stigma that getting married limits our lives. Mm. I don't know if it's, if it's predominantly for men of, you know, the, the jokes about, uh, the, you know, the ball and chain and, and this or that, right. Um, tying me down now, man, it's freedom. Marriage is freedom. I wouldn't go back to being single, um, for, you know, for anything. I mean, 
yeah, it's just, I wish more people would understand that it's a long game. It's an ultra marathon, right? I mean, it's, it's a long, it's the long game. And if you don't give up, it's the greatest journey you'll ever go on. I would second that. And I would tell everyone who is married and maybe has that mindset of, you know, I've been married to this old lady for 20, 30, 40 years, and that's just the way she is. And you're just looking at the wrong way. You, you, you like Christ should think of how to serve your spouse. And again, you don't, we're not going to be perfect in this process, but what we should do, and if we truly love our spouse is we should love her so much that we think, how can you, how can we make the situation better? Right? So I'm going to give you a quick story about what happened this week. Uh, I've been coaching at my high school for, oh man, over 10 years now, baseball and, and golf. And I, during the spring have been coaching track and baseball and my daughter plays lacrosse and runs track. We have all our children are very active, right? So then as I witnessed this logistical nightmare between going to all these practices, uh, my wife and I had a serious talk about me stepping down from golf. And after going through this, this spring, um, and I, she did mention planted the seed and said, you know what? I don't think you really realize what it was like for me with four children to transport them to soccer and all these other events in the fall while you were on the golf course with your kids. And I said, no, I didn't realize it until now. And I, I put my resignation in this week um, until, and had a conversation with my athletic director because we have to sometimes sacrifice what we think's good for others, even though I'm serving my students and it really hurt. This was a very hard decision, but I have to put my family first. And the reason why is because it's only for a season that I'll have them under my roof. And we have to always remember that. So let's, let's segue into that for you, Mike. Talk about how important that is as a, a father and as a, and as your wife as well to, to be those mentors and, and loving parents to your children. Oh man, it's, uh, shoot, it's the foundation of the future. It, it, I mean, it's a, that's another thing to where we as parents have become so selfish in that, um, well, I think who. A lot of parents probably live vicariously through their kids. I can't say that I'm not, I hadn't been guilty of that, right? You, you want your kids to be better than you, that, or at least you should, right? That's, that's sort of the whole point is um, helping to raise your kids so that they avoid as many of the mistakes that you made and, and that you build them better than, than you were. Um, we made the decision, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll answer it this way. My wife and I made the decision that when our kids, really when we had, after we had our first child, when he was little, that the most important thing was being there with him and for him. And so she, uh, she was a school teacher, is a school teacher, and she uh, quit her job to be a stay-at-home mom for several years while both of our kids were young. And I made a commitment that I was going to be home. I mean, I, I was going to be, when I was home, I was going to be home. And Saturdays were my day with, uh, with our son, particularly when he, when he was young. And we made, we made the decision early on that, I guess I'll, I'll, the question, when our kids turn 18 or 20 or 22, do we want them to have more money and 
opportunities through what we could give them? Or do we want them to have strong character and confidence and the will to become who God created them to be and have experiences and know that they're loved? And the answer was easy. So we, we sacrificed a lot of financial stability to make sure that we were there for our kids. And that doesn't stop, honestly. I mean, it's, you know, being, being a parent is kind of like the ultimate, this is what my pastor says. It's kind of like the ultimate catch and release program. You, you have them for 18 years, but man, then your job is to let them go. Um, your relationship, this is what I'm learning now because both my kids are in college. Your relationship changes from strictly parent child to really honestly somewhat peer at some point which is really cool that you'll uh you'll experience uh here pretty soon and and get to get to experience a lot more of um as your kids grow but that's but you're always there in my opinion that's us we're always there if our kids need us we'll release them go and prosper and live your life and become who you who you God has created you to become but if you need something we're always here for you because we're family and we take care of family. And so, yeah, for us, it was love, intentionality in parenting. We didn't want to just be babysitters for our kids or uh, let other people babysit our kids for us. We we were intentional about how we were raising them, what we were doing, uh, you know, with them. I coached my kids, um, little league teams, you know, for, for a couple of different reasons, but it was just awesome to be around them. I did get involved in some of my daughter's stuff. She wasn't an athlete, but she danced and I eventually got involved in some of that stuff as well. Uh, but yeah, just being there, man, being there for your kids. And even when they don't know you're there, like when my daughter was in marching band in high school, she couldn't see us where we were, but she knew we were there. There's something to that. Mm -hmm. There's a love, I think, that kids get from knowing that you care for them, not just that you're a parent to tell them what to do or to order them around, but that you, you really care. That's it's gold. Yeah. I think the word I would, I would like to use is like, you're invested, right? Like I, oh, yeah. we're invested in their maturation process and, and, and being a witness and, and being a teacher. I'll tell you what, the one thing I've learned recently and being in the middle school now is that I have to be much better listener and they, they, they have so many things going on through their emotional, that pubescent state in middle school, even through high school. And the one thing they, they think they know, and this is why I'm learning with my daughter right now is that they think they know from the misreality of whether it's social media or their friend group. And I, I I've been telling her lately, I know you think you're right about everything and I was just like you. So I'm trying to build that relationship of like, look, I'm hearing you. I was like you. It's not all about you. And one day you'll understand. And it takes time because they're, you know, they're, you're, it's like I said, it's a maturation process. But like you said, Mike, is that they need your presence. So everyone listening as a parent, get off your phone, hmm. get intentional be present with them and show them that you love and care them. And if you could do those things, then you are truly a righteous parent living the way that God intended a family to be. 
So yeah, that's great, Mike. I, I, I totally agree with you that, um, how important it is to be, to be present with your children. So, yeah. And I'll, I'll share too, just to kind of bring all of this together in a way is when my son was born, I should, actually, he was a toddler at the time. I, I created a binder and put in there how things I wanted to do with him and teach him at different stages of his life, all the way up to 22 years old. And he was, so he was a toddler at this point. Yeah. And so it, it you know, it, it had stages of uh, when he goes into high school, when he begins to drive, when he graduates high school, and even before then, when he turns 13, all that kind of stuff. The first, the very, and I had six or seven different tabs based on different uh, stages of his life for things that I wanted to intentionally do. The first tab in how to intentionally raise my, my son was titled to love his mother. Hmm. That was the first step I, I wrote hmm. in how to raise my son. The best that I could was to love his mother because I know I, the stability of a, a marriage of a husband and wife staying together has an enormous impact on children. The statistics are, don't lie. The statistics are overwhelming and how negatively divorce in, in uh, not just divorce, but unloving families, unloving homes, how that impacts children, right? And the downstream effect. And secondly, I, I wanted to show him what love looks like, what, yeah. and I, and how I love his mom. Yeah. And so they, they, the two marriage and raising kids, they intertwine and are kind of dance together in a way. Mm. It was making me think of an image of attending to a garden and what your kids see is the, the soil and the crops that are, that are the fruits of what you have together. So if they see a garden that's not tended to and cared for, like how you would, you would care for your, your, your wife then they're not going to want to be in that garden. They're going to, they're going to jump ship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, these aren't really hard concepts to really absorb. The hardest thing is, is that people are selfish with their, <laughs> with their ego and, and pride in what they want or think they want. And most of it comes from the flesh really, and their fleshy desires. And people have to put that aside and say, again, I go back to the root of family if you truly love your spouse and your children, you love them, right? And you serve them in a way that imitates Christ again. So mm -hmm. I want I want to go into a, a story that I love. Again, I'm just going back on things that we that I have experienced through you or vicariously through social media <laughs> through you. <laughs> um, but it we're gonna change gears, but it has to do with your son. Uh talk about the the day or that weekend that you two decided to do the mid-state mile and how that came Ooh. about. It's just a great story. I, I love that story. Really? Oh, man. Okay. So uh, I hate running. <laughs> I, I've never <laughs> run in my life until it'll just a little bit, but like running a mile was excruciating to me. And I couldn't imagine why people would, would want to do it. But in 2020, all the gyms were closed. And so, you know, we were just trying to manifest things to do. So we would, we actually started going out on family runs. We would do like two or three miles or something like that. So that wasn't too bad. And my son and I were scheduled 
we had booked a trip to the Grand Canyon that summer, that June, to hike rim to rim. Hmm. And it got canceled during the, the pandemic. At that time, when we knew it was a, it had a possibility of being canceled, um, I think I had seen through social media, maybe through, it was either through Chad Wright or Jesse Itzler, that they were going to be running in the Mid-State Mile, and it was in the next town over from me. And so I thought, all right, if I'm ever going to do one of these crazy, insane races, this is going to be it because it's right. It's 30 minutes from my house, right? I don't, I don't even have to travel for it. So I, I asked my son, I said, look, if we can't go to the Grand Canyon, what do you think about signing up for this thing? And he was like, sure. So the, the thing, is, I think one of the reasons why I signed up for it was that this, all the spots were filled at the time. So I, we actually got on the waiting list. And so I was just kind of like, whew. You know, don't probably won't have to do that. Plus, we're going to be going to the Grand Canyon anyway. Well, lo and behold, the the race is on Saturday. Wednesday, I think Wednesday or Thursday, we find out that the Grand Canyon trip is canceled, and it was going to be that weekend, that same weekend. So, I look at the waiting list, and we had gone from like number twenty or twenty five on the waiting list to like number four and five. So, Friday night comes the night before the race, and we're having dinner. And, and my son says, well, how about you just contact the race director? And it was Becca Jones. Uh, how about you just contact the race director and just see if we can, sh- if we show up and some of the people don't show up, can we still race? And I was like, okay, we just wanted to do something. We wanted to do something hard and memorable, right? Hiking rim to rim in the Grand Canyon was going to be very difficult in the heat trying to do it in one day. And um, so we want to do something difficult and memorable so I was like, okay. So I emailed Becca that night, went to bed about nine, nine 30, hadn't gotten a response back. And so I was like, well, that's not happening. And I'm an early riser. As you know, um, I got up probably five or close to 5.00 AM Saturday morning, checked my email and there it is an email from Becca saying, yeah, come on, you guys can come. We'll get you in. So this is five fifteen AM. The race starts at eight. We have no supplies. We didn't train. And my son's asleep and he's 19 years old. So imagine this. Um, so I actually, of course, I pace around the house for a couple of minutes. I'm like, oh my God, what do we do? <laughs> and I'm visualizing how embarrassed I'm going to look on this course, right? Because I'm not a runner. And anyway, so I actually, I went to, I went to the spot in my house where I do most of my praying and I prayed and of course I had the voices in my head going back and forth. You're going to embarrass yourself, but you should do it. It's going to be fun. But uh, you know, you're going to look like an idiot. You know, ultimately I got down to, I kind of hear God ask, you know, if you wake up tomorrow morning and you don't do this, are you going to regret it? And I was just like, that's it. So I got up five 30, went upstairs, my 19 year old son's still sleeping. So just imagine your typical 19 year old son trying to wake him up at five 30, right. In the middle of the summer. So I go, this is like the best part of the story too, is that I go into his room and usually it's like, if you've ever seen, well, trying to wake him up is usually a, a chore, right? He's, I mean, he sleeps well um, when he's, when he's asleep. So I walk into his room and he actually starts stirring and he wakes up and his eyes are like, his eyes are cracked like this. And I, I sat on his bed. I said, all right, buddy, here's the deal. We can go to the race if we want to but I don't want to go alone. So if you're up for it, we've got about two hours to get supplies and get there 
and get ready for the race. So he's still laying flat on his back in bed. His eyes are cracked. I don't know why he did this, John, but he looked to the right. He looked to the left. He took a deep breath and then he threw his covers off and jumped out of bed. And I said, all right, it's go time. We're doing this thing. So I went and gathered as much supplies as I could, whatever we had in the house. I said, we let's grab a cooler. We got to hit the grocery store. We got to get some ice. We got to get drinks, oranges, bananas. I don't know what, just water stuff. I don't know what we need. We need stuff. I got bread and peanut butter and jelly to make sandwiches thinking, no, we'll, we'll make sandwiches in between laps. Right. And we're, we're, so anyway, I'll, I'll, the, the rest of it's pretty good too, but that's the crux of it is the morning of, we made the decision to do it. Um, it was so hot. I lasted about four hours, which at this point, honestly, I'm pretty darn proud of because yeah. I had never done anything like that before. And you've, you've experienced that course and it's brutal. Mm-hmm. He actually went like 18 laps. I think he went like six hours or so. So oh. he just destroyed me. He did, he did really, really well. Got to meet some amazing people. Um, and I walked away from that and said, that was so terrible. I'm never doing anything like that again. And I've been doing races ever since. <laughs> you know, what? It, the, the funny thing is, Mike, I swear, like the, the stories you have are similar, so similar to mine, is that I did the same thing. My first ultra ultra race, I swore. I'm like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. I was, cr- I was literally cramping up the whole way home as my dad's driving. And he's like, are you okay? I'm like, my whole body is seizing up and cramping. <laughs> I, he goes, why yeah. did you, are you, did you hydrate? And I didn't, I, it was, this was during COVID too, because they had only yeah. one aid station that was so far. And I kept thinking to myself, like during that suffering period is you go through it and you're like, why did I do that? And then like a week later, you're like, when can I do that again? When can I do it again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But that, that got, yeah, it really, and I had a couple of people say, Oh, you're going to get the itch. And I said, Oh no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not doing this. So anything like this again. And there's something about it. I, you know, I mean, there's something about the, the suffering, um, the pushing yourself and in, in doing things that you, some things maybe that you didn't know you could do, but other things that you just don't want to do, but you get yourself to do it anyway. And it's like, man, if I can do that, if I can get myself to do that, what can I get to do? What can I get myself to do as a husband? What can I get myself to do as a father? What can I get myself to do as a a, a disciple of Jesus, as a son of God, right? As a friend, what can I get myself to do if I can push myself through that? That's the beauty of it. My, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I tell my father all the time, I said, I, I do these things to suffer, but when I suffer, my spirit is so in tune. It's like the most pure state. And, and you've been there. I'm, yeah. And, and as, as men of faith or as a woman of faith, and, and when you're in a state of suffering, you really have this, oh, it's like this internal transfiguration when, when Jesus was on the mountain, right. And he, he turned white and was, and all the, the apostles were looking at him, you know, James, John, and, and um, Peter, like he had this transfiguration, like within your soul, you have like the Holy spirit just like bursting through and you don't really get that. I've never really had that until I've been at like breaking points in races. And I think that 
And maybe that's the why, Mike. Maybe that's why we like to do it is because it doesn't, you don't get that like pinnacle period of that experience without that true suffering. And it's controlled suffering. That's the thing. Like we're not going out to to war. Like we control when we want to stop or how far we want to go. But it really does push you to the limits to where you can bring those experiences back to your family and to your profession. And having that wisdom allows you to have the fortitude to truly, truly have experience that you can share with somebody. And people are asking you like, why did you run that far? Like Mike, why would you run 80 miles straight? Now I'll, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you that. Why, why would you run 80 miles straight, Mike? In their last race we did. <laughs> I, well, there's a couple of different reasons, but that you may, you said it really well. It's in doing something like that. It may, it really forces you to strip away everything down to your soul to where it's like your soul is exposed, right? Mm-hmm. You can't do that. You can't last that long if you are distracted by the minutia in the unimportant things of life. You can't, you can't be distracted other than what is right in front of you at times, at most times. And so it forces you to, to just break everything down to what's in front of you and Ultimately, what you are facing is your own self and your own soul. And you don't get to know yourself any better than that when you're when you're in that situation. And I and I will say, so for this particular race too, initially I wanted to do 50 miles with with our friend, right? Uh with Tim and to celebrate his 50th. And of course, obviously that I mean was a huge accomplishment for me as well. I had never really done uh, that I'd, I'd gone uh, more than 50 miles at mid-state mile, but it, it took 24 hours. So, um, yeah, it, so to do that with him, but then I really, I really did want to go a hundred. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and but, I'll be, I'll be honest, Mike, I'm going to tell you this, you, you could have, and I know, I know that I, I'll I let you speak on that, but I tell you what, uh, I, I'm very, this, this is one of my spider senses I have is I'm very aware of what everyone's doing. I am so aware. I look at people's body language so well, and I could tell within their soul what they want, basically. What did you, so what did you pick up from me? What did you think? Well, I think you here, this is my, this is my summation because you committed to Tim to do the 50. I knew you were, you were serving that, that, uh, the act that he wanted to do. And then I, I was reading through um, what you said and I, one of your posts actually it was from when you did your, your reel, I think on Instagram. And yeah. you said you were sick during January and then February, you started getting your strength back and then you kicked it in the gear to train like you were running for a hundred mile race. Yeah. So I knew then I knew the, the fire was lit, that there was a goal that could possibly happen for you. And I'll be honest, like you train the hardest, uh, out of all of us and the, the amount of miles you put in and you, dude, it's beautiful. You, you are so intentional that I watch the wave of miles grow each week and then yeah. the peak down into the race. And I'm like, I'm like, this is me just sitting on the back looking, thinking like, you know, Mike's. Mike's got something up his sleeve. He's not, I, I guarantee you, <laughs> I guarantee you, this is, this is what I was, this is what I thought that 
when you, I knew you weren't going to run Friday night. And I said, I bet you what, once he goes Saturday, he's going to go, he's going to push himself to try to get a hundred. And I think if I remember correctly, when, when Dan and I finished and you finished on that lap with us, um, you, you had to get back home and the way logistically it, it, it just wouldn't work. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, I, and I shared a little bit about this earlier, just, you know, personal thing. It's been, it's been a tough year for our family. Um, uh, which I won't really get into. It's just, I mean, it's, it's been a, it's been a rough year and, you know, to the point where you have things happen to you, just multiple things over and over and over. And it's like, okay, it's, it's now happening to all members of our family. It's like our family's being under, uh, under attack. And during, in the middle of training, going through the plan that you had laid out, uh, there was a point where my body just clicked and I was like, I feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. I feel strong. I can do 50. If I push myself, what else could I, could I do a hundred? So I really went there with the mentality of honestly, dude, just like kicking the enemy in his teeth and mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to show you what I can do so that when I go back home, you ain't going to mess with my family anymore. Cause yeah. this is me. I can do this. And so, um, but to your point, I, I wanted to serve the, um, I wanted to serve Tim and in, in the group. Yeah. And I, I really, I had no desire to run Friday night and then get up Saturday and do it again. Uh, I just, I knew for me and my body, the best thing would be to start and just go until I can't go anymore. And so, um, and one of the things that I thought of, and it, this just really, this really hit home uh, for me through the race was on my way there, I'm like, you know, what do I want, thinking about what do I want to get out of this? And I thought about you, you mentioned the word selfish earlier today, uh, early in the in the, the conversation mm-hmm. about how selfish we've become as a society, how selfish we are as husbands, particularly as husbands, but wives too. Um, and I'm that way, man. And I'm just like... I, I don't know how much selfishness I've got. I know I've got a lot, but I just want to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I, I want it all to, to, to just peel away. And that's what, I don't know why that popped into my head, but that's what I wanted out of this race was mm-hmm. to peel away every bit of selfishness and come back selfless in, in more ways. And so, um, I fought that through Saturday, like, dang, man, we're going so slow. <laughs> and a lot of it was the weather, mm-hmm. right? Uh. Um, and so that was the first part of it. And then, um, you know, the, our pace just slowed in the afternoon and into the evening. And I kept in my head, I'm thinking, all right, if we finish 50 in 12 hours, what's that going to look like? Okay. If we finish 50 in 16 hours, what's that going to look like? It ended up taking us, actually, it took us, uh, six, 17 and a half hours to finish 50. But Mm -hmm. I kept in my mind thinking as soon as uh, as soon as we're done with 50 and I knew Tim would be done and, and you and, and Dan had mentioned you were going to, you were going to call it mm-hmm. and get some sleep. I know, I know you guys needed it as well. In my mind, I'm just thinking that's it. That's my time. Mm-hmm. That's my time. And when I went through the night and I started doing the math in my head and I was getting close to 80, I knew that I knew I could get to a hundred, but I knew it would take me most of the day or half of the day Sunday. And that logistically and physically, that wasn't going to be good because I had a six hour drive home and that would have put my family and my work, honestly, for the rest of the week 
uh, it would, it would have just put a burden on them. So I kind of, again, kind of made the unselfish decision that I want to get a hundred, but I, this is good right here. I'm going to, I'm going to stop here. I'll get 80. I'll finish with you guys. And then, uh, and then I'll, I'll serve, you know, my family and my work. And, uh, so I can be there for them this week. Well, for everyone who wasn't there and I witnessed it, um, Mike is a machine, like literally <laughs> like when, when I went to bed and it was funny cause I felt like somewhat of a, a caregiver cause Dan was like cashed out on, on my chair yeah. outside and I was helping Tim get, get in. And then Gavin was fried and he was in his car warming up and I'm like, where's Mike at? And I thought to myself, Oh, I know where he's at. He's going, he's going back to the gauntlet. And then I, I thought, and I thought, thought to myself, like, I'm, I'm happy for you. I really, I wanted to run with you, but I'm like, I, I knew personally, I'm just, I needed to get rest because we've been running for, oh my goodness, <laughs> like almost 30 hours. I don't know. So long. You oh yeah. So long. Yeah. 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 It was crazy. So long story yeah. short, um, I knew my plan with Dan cause I knew we were, we started together and I said, our mission is to start and finish together, which we did and it was awesome. But, but you, Mike, like when I woke up by those, those crazy roosters. And I know you heard them too. I, I did. Woke, they're, <laughs> they I, were I, awesome. They were, it was awesome. It really was. Yeah. And it was so, na- yeah. it was so fun to just be out, out in nature and, and hear that. And you hear the, the rain and the people uh, on the, on the track running while you're, while you're waking up. And I got up and I, I saw Gavin outside and I was like, it was like six 30 on, on Sunday morning. And I said, what are you doing out here? He's like, Mike's still going. Like he's, he's unbelievable. And I said, you know what? I'm so happy for him, man. Like, cause I knew it. I knew, I knew you needed to do that. Um, I did not, not to showcase, not to showcase your toughness or your grit. Cause you, that's, that's who you are. All right. It was, I think you just needed that time to be alone for that five hour or four hour period, whatever it was at night to just face the enemy. And yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think it was, and I think that's the thing about like ultra running that people don't really understand. It's, it's not that it's not to say, Oh, I ran a hundred miles or 50 miles or whatever the mileage it's about knowing, like you said, and we both said, it's about stripping you down to the core uh, on a mission to reveal something to you. And what I learned from that race was I had a lot of points, but the two I'd really focus on is like, God designed our bodies in an unbelievable way that I, I couldn't even fathom. And it, I had such a higher respect. I mean, God's unbelievable. He's, I mean, he is the creator of, of all. He's just, we can't even think about how powerful and, and amazing and great in everything he does. But I thought to myself, I, I, there's no way in my mind, Mike, how to drive down, run that race and drive back the same day what even crossed my mind and for you to be a man of steel running 80 miles straight and then having five hours or so by yourself in the dead of night, I thought to myself like, man, that dude is just, he was on a mission. And when a man's on a mission that reveals your character. And I witnessed who you are when I woke up that day that I knew the Mike Bellini that I, I always knew, but you showed me, another side of you. It's almost like a superhero. Really. It really is. And I, I, I say that with humility too, though, but it really does showcase your character and how strong you are 
not just physically, but you know, as well as I do, it comes down to the mental part because you play mind games with yourself of why I'm doing this. What is this for? And to run through the night again in isolation against the enemy, that was the most courageous warrior thing that I saw in the entire time. Uh, thank you. Um, and I know, I know you've got that same, uh, actually, I won't even say that same grit. You've got grit inside of you that I, I don't have, man. I, this is, it's a struggle for me. And one of the things I do want to say as well is that I, I really learned out there this time was there is a big difference between physical suffering and pushing yourself into uncomfortable situations physically and then doing it versus doing it emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. And I realized out there by myself that, man, this is so much easier for me to do than to do the emotional Mm -hmm. and spiritual and relational to be, to do the uncomfortable things in those areas. And I took that back with me. That was a big takeaway for me from this race. This time was I need to do hard things emotionally, relationally, and spiritually as much or more than I do physical hard things. Um, it can't just be the physical and hope that it translate into the other. I've got to be willing to push myself through whatever, through the dead of night, like you said, by myself, whatever it is in, you know, our, our everyday lives, I've got to be more willing to push myself into the uncomfortable space there emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually, and, and relationally more than I do physically, because that's, what's really going to transform our lives. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Mike. I think we don't, we don't do hard things just to say we're, we're tough. That, that, that's, that's not the end game. Again, I, I can't, I can't stress enough. What you said is that this just happens to be a test. Really. If you look at it like life and and as a student of the game of life, we're going through a test. And I I think it's a test of character uh, of who we are and why we were there that really goes down to the why, why are you there? Because you want to grow, you want to transform, you want to be better. Who do you want to be better for? You want to be a better person. You want to have a close relationship with Christ. You want to be spiritually lifted up to be closer and yoked with him so that you can bring that back to, to your wife, to your children, to those people you work with, to your community. And when people see you, they're like, what happened? You went through the fire of adversity. That's what happened. And people run away from that discomfort because they know it's going to hurt and it's going to be painful. And most people seek comfort because they know that their character may crumble or they just don't want to do it because they don't want to grow or for whatever other reason. But I've learned so much. And like you, and I've learned a lot from you, Mike, is that to have that consistent character is so critical to be a beacon of hope for your family, for your country, and for those to which people inspire to be like, because it's hard to come by a person who has that and you have it. Thank you, man. Yeah, that's, uh, I will say, you say I have it. I will say it's something that I strive to, uh, to live by. Yeah, there's, there's no question. I think we're, we're in a day and age where people need, 
crave stability, mm-hmm. crave, um, uh, you know, yeah, living on, on solid ground. And those of us that may have that, whether it's a desire or have some of that inside of us. And for me and you as well, I mean, it's, it's all built on, on our faith. Mm-hmm. People need to see that, right? We've, we've had three years of general uncertainty and, and uh, dude, the pandemic's been over for a long time and mm-hmm. things are not getting more certain, right? Things are not getting more stable. It's actually getting more unstable. Mm-hmm. And I just, I have a feeling that what we've been through the last three years is going to pale in comparison to what may be coming. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it's going to be, whatever that is. I mean, we know scripturally that things are going to, uh, continue. The world is going to continue to shake and, and, you know, evil will rise as the same rate as, as righteousness and, and holiness, right? We're going to continue to see the shaking and the instability. What are we going to do? Who, who are people going to look to? And yeah, I, I want to be, I feel go back to the first question you asked, why do you do the things you do? sense of responsibility. If I can be that person for somebody to where they say, I don't know why he's not afraid, but he's not. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to go talk to him and figure out why he's not afraid of this. That's, you know, uh, that's, that's what I'm trying to become. Yeah, no, you are definitely becoming that for sure. And, and are that, and you know, and we're in a land of plane here, Mike, I think we'll we'll end at exactly this point is that, People need mentors so bad right now mm. to look to look at because they don't know who they are and whose their identity is in. And when I look at a Mike Bellini, I think of, you know, like I said in the in the introduction, like he's just, you know, he's consistent. He has high character, you know, he's well versed in his faith. You know, he's he has a beautiful relationship with his family and he understands those pillars of his faith, family and his fitness and his freedom so well. They're so clear in his message, not only verbally, but how he acts on a daily basis. And if we have more men and women in this country and in this world who can start doing that, not wavering their character by situations, but by being consistent in all situations, that is what we all strive to be. And ultimately, like I said before, uh, if we could just try to imitate Christ the best we can and to be beacons of hope, because that's what people need to hear the true message of truth, which is to be, that we need to be the salt and the light to everyone around us because they don't know where to turn to. And you can't turn to the news. You can't turn to social media. You can't turn to big companies that are advertising these ungodly things. We have to turn to the truth. And Mike, you are definitely a truth seeker because you are in the word. You are living out your faith and you just have a a, a beautiful way of sharing that. And I'm so happy. And now this is my last message about you. I'm just so thankful, really, Mike that you're using those gifts that God's given you to write and you, and you squash that fear of, of, of 25 years ago that you, you would not do it. Just like you said, you wouldn't run after the first time. So these are things that God has been building you up to do to, to honor him and his kingdom. 
and it, it truly is a, a beautiful sight for me and for everyone I know in our community um, that's around you is that you're living out God's destiny for what you're supposed to do in life. And it's, it's really a beautiful sight to see Mike. Yeah. Well, I just say this, Mike, like I truly appreciate your time for, for being on um, today. And I hope that you're able to um, come back on some other time because I, I can't wait maybe a year from now or, or so that the books you've written, the th the experiences you've had and how you have fortified your character even more in this world. So that so desperately needs um, people like you to, to share the truth to them. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, this has been a blast. I think we share, you mentioned it too. We share a lot in common in our, what we believe, what we hold to be true and uh, what we prioritize in life. So uh, it's so uplifting um, when you do find people that have common ground and in, in, in common purpose uh, as well. So I can't thank you enough, man. Love you, brother. Mike, I love you too. And um, hey, I'm, I just, I'm praying for you and your family going through this time that you are. And I just, I continue say this over and over again. Uh, I'm just, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you have helped me in my relationship with my wife to be more intentional to her needs and to my children. And um, I'm just, I can't wait to do more uh, races with you in the future as well. And I'm just looking forward to our continued relationship. Yeah. So, well, Mike Bellini, it's been a pleasure. I feel the exact same way, brother. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, everyone, this has been a great classroom session, and this class is dismissed. That was good, Mike. That was great. I'm so, I'm going to be.